The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, if you are a guest or a visitor, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here, and friends, it is good to be with you. Uh, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Uh, we are going to be uh, continuing in our series in Jesus' kingdom parables this morning. Now, the last number of weeks as we've been in uh, the kingdom parables, we've been focusing our attention in Matthew's gospel in chapter 13, because that's where Jesus spends the majority of his time sharing about his kingdom parables. But but his kingdom parables aren't limited to just that chapter. We've, we've looked at each of those parables in that chapter, but now we're extending beyond chapter 13 and moving into chapter 18. And Jesus there uh, previously has been using metaphors to help uh, teach us and to instruct us on what the kingdom looks like. He's used parables about agriculture and treasure and fishing. Well, this morning, uh, this parable in Matthew 18 is going to be a little bit different because Jesus isn't giving us a metaphor. He's uh, not giving us an analogy. He's actually telling us a story. He's giving us a story. And it's a story in response to a question. You see, the context of Matthew 18 is that Jesus has been instructing his people about how they're to respond when someone sins against them. If a brother is in sin, what do you do? You go and you tell him they're in sin, and you seek repentance. You seek to call him back to the gospel, to the truth. If he doesn't listen to you, then you get two or three, and you go to him and seek repentance. And if not, then then bring him to the church. So Jesus has been instructing his people about how they're to respond to sin in their midst. And, And as he's taught them, you can almost see Peter on the page, his his mind starts to whirl, right? Some questions start to form. If, if this is what I'm supposed to do with my brother or sister when they sin, then, then I've got some questions about that, Jesus. And so Peter comes to Jesus and asks him a question. In verse 21 of chapter 18, he says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? How often must I forgive? What a wonderful question, (laughs) right? It's a wonderful question because we've all wondered that, haven't we? We've all wondered, we've all wished that we could have Jesus across the table from us and we can say, Jesus, like, do I really have to forgive this person? Or what about this occasion or this statement or this thing? Do I really? And, and I mean, I've already forgiven them a few times. Like when is enough enough? I mean, we've, we've wondered that, right? We've maybe wanted to ask Jesus that, though, though I'm sure if we were across the table from Jesus, we maybe wouldn't be so bold to ask a question like this. But have no fear, Peter's bold. <laughs> Peter's bold. And so he asked the question, how many times? Seven times? Now in that day, seven times would have been very generous. It would have been very gracious. You see, there was a common Jewish teaching right around this time period that said that a person only had to forgive sins, forgive a person three times. So they sin against you and they ask for forgiveness, forgive them. The second time, be gracious. The third time, absolutely pass over it. But the fourth time, four strikes and you're out. 
And so when Peter says seven times, he's actually being more generous, more gracious than the common teaching of the day. But even as he's more gracious, Peter still sets a limit, doesn't he? It's still seven. So instead of four strikes and you're out for Peter, it's eight strikes and you're out. And how does Jesus respond to this statement, this question? Well, Jesus says, I do not say seven times, but 77. Now, if you're not a math major, that's 490. <laughs> Don't pull out your calculator. You can believe me. But, but you know that sometimes also it can be translated 77. And whether it's 77 or 70 times 7, the point of what Jesus is doing is not to tell us, well, this is the limit. Right? It's not 491 strikes and they're out or 78 strikes and they're out. No, no. the point in him giving this sort of a number, this large number, is to help us see that our concern isn't supposed to be with how often or how frequent we forgive, but our concern should be with the nature of forgiveness itself. And to teach us this, Jesus is going to tell us a story, a parable. And so pick up in verse 23. Jesus says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay his, pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, Have patience with me. And I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the ser same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace that you have shown us in Jesus. We thank you for his forgiveness. And we ask that as we come to this passage that you would teach us what it means to forgive that as recipients of his grace, of his forgiveness, that we would be a forgiving people, and that we would be gracious. Father, we need your help in order to be this way, and we need your help now so that we would see the wonders and the beauty and the goodness of your word. So meet with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see the root of forgiveness immediately, don't we? The root of forgiveness is compassion. And we see it in the details of the story, details that we have to understand. You see, this servant has been called to settle his account. And the account that he has built for himself, this debt that he has accrued, is an incredible amount. 
a talent. He owes 10,000 talents. And in that day, in case you don't know your ancient Near Eastern conversion charts, a talent in that day was 20 years worth of wages. And so that means that this servant would have owed 200,000 years of debt. Okay, that's astronomical, right? That's, he might as well have just said that he owes a kajillion, bajillion dollars, right? Like it's, it's unfathomable how much money this man owes. And so having heard that he has accrued this debt and it's time to pay, what does he ask for? Well, he asks for time. That's what we're told in verse 26. The servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Now, here I want us to put ourselves in the, in the picture of the king, right? In, in the king's shoes. Sit, sit on the master's chair and have this servant before you who owes you 200,000 years worth of debt say, just give me some more time, right? Like, hey, master king, like just a little bit of time. Don't worry, I've got some friends. I've got some family I can call on. I have got this new product. It is going to revolutionize Jerusalem. Just a little more time. I'm going to pay you. So you're the master, you're the king. What are you thinking? I mean, some of you already started to laugh before I even described this absurd request, right? You would laugh. It's absurd. Of course he's not going to pay him back. 200,000 years worth of debt. His children and grandchildren and great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren will still be paying this debt back. It's insurmountable. It is impossible, and that is the point. You see, what Jesus is inviting us to see is that this debt is so large, it could never be repaid. And so what does the king do? Well, the king, by law, has every right to throw this man in prison, to throw his family in prison, to sell them, to sell all the man's possessions, and to recoup a portion of what he's owed. He has every right to do it, and he would be within his rights to do so. So what does he do? Well, he does something far greater than give patience. He gives compassion. We see it in verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now that word pity there, it literally means compassion. And that word compassion shows up four other times in Matthew's gospel. And in every instance that it shows up in Matthew's gospel, it is speaking specifically of Jesus and speaking about his inclination towards those who are needy and helpless. So for instance, in Matthew 9, 36, it says that Jesus was compassionate towards the crowds. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. In 14.14, we're told that Jesus had compassion for the crowd, and this compassion led him to heal them. In 15.32, his compassion led him to feed the crowd, and in verse 34 of chapter 20, it was out of compassion that Jesus healed a blind man. It is the compassion of Christ that inclines him towards meeting the needs and to helping the helpless to moving towards the needy and bringing care and mercy. And in this passage, it's that kind of compassion that stirs the king, the master, to forgive. And friends, that is the kind of compassion Christ shows us. You know, in every sermon in the kingdom parables so far, 
In every sermon, we've been invited to, uh, to see ourselves in light of one of the characters or one of the elements, right? So, so for instance, I've asked questions like, what kind of soil are you? Like, think about what kind of soil. Are you good soil? Are you rocky soil? Are you thorny soil, right? What kind of fish are you? Are you good fish? Do you smell fishy, you know? that's a good thing. In the kingdom of God, that's a good thing. Smell fishy, right? Um, I've asked what kind of fish, are you weed or weeds? And and that's inviting us to see ourselves as a particular element in the story or a particular character. And the same is true in this passage. And so when we look at the characters, I'm I'm sure most of us, all of us, are inclined to want to say, well, I'm, I'm like the king. Benevolent, gracious, merciful. But that's not who we're invited to see ourselves as. No, Jesus says that the king is the father, is God. No, the, the one that we're supposed to associate ourselves with isn't the king, but it's actually the servant with a debt that's unpayable. And so I wonder, I wonder if that's how you see your life. I wonder if that's how you see your sin. Not someone else's sin, not, not the transgression someone else experiences, not the failings of other people's, but, but your sin. I mean, do you understand how much you owe? You know, it's easy to minimize our sin, to think, you know, it's really not that bad. I mean, especially when we're comparing our sin to others, isn't it? Like, well, we don't commit those sins that make our stomachs turn and make us feel a little icky, right? Like, those are the sins other people feel. And and my sin, it's not that bad. It's easy to minimize, isn't it? It's easy for us to be casual about our sin. Like, it's not that big of a deal. It doesn't really hurt me. It's not really hurting anyone. I'm just keeping all of it in my mind. No one even knows what I'm thinking. And so, it's not that bad. To indulge a little here, a little there. It's easy to do these things, isn't it? But, but when we do that, what we are doing is, is we are saying that, that our debt isn't that great. That our debt is actually manageable. It's, it's something we can handle. But friends, don't do that. Because the truth is, is that your sin and my sin It is far greater than we could ever even know. In fact, it is so great that there is nothing that we could do to ever pay it back. It is so great that it can only be dealt with Christ's blood. And that's what it takes to cancel our debt. It takes the blood of Jesus. And the fact that it takes the blood of Jesus to cancel our debt tells us that forgiveness is not easy and it is not cheap. Forgiveness is very, very costly. I mean, just think about our parable, right? The master. For the master to forgive the debt, it meant the master was losing out on the money that he had loaned. For him to forgive the debt, it meant that the servant, for him to be forgiven, the master was giving up what was rightfully his. And y'all, that's what Christ has done. Jesus lived a perfect life without sin, and he deserved honor and glory because of that life. And he took that life, and he gave it for you. See, the price of our forgiveness, it cost Jesus his very life. And he did it out of compassion. And he did it out of love. 
I mean, even on the cross, think about this, right? Even on the cross with some of his last words, with his very dying breath, what was he saying? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Right? Even with some of his last words, he was praying that forgiveness would come upon the very person who had sentenced him to death. The very people who had hammered the nails into his wrist. He was praying forgiveness for them. It's compassion. It is love that motivated him towards forgiveness. And friends, that is the root of forgiveness. It is compassion. It is not something that we stir up within ourselves, that we convince ourselves that we must do. No, the root of forgiveness is Christ's love. Well, that's the root of forgiveness, but, but the rest of the parable tells us the fruit of forgiveness. And the fruit of forgiveness is forgiveness. <laughs> There's a couple that are very dear to Kat and I. Uh, their names are Randy and Barbara. Randy was our pastor in Greenville when Kat and I first met. We lived in Greenville, South Carolina, and Randy uh, married us. He presided over our wedding. He actually baptized Lane. Lane, of course, doesn't remember, but uh, it was a beautiful, uh, beautiful occasion, and, and there's another story with that. But, but Randy and Barbara invited us into their lives in, in very intimate and beautiful ways. You see, for about a year, every Sunday afternoon after church, we would drive over to Randy and Barbara's house and we would eat lunch with them. Every Sunday for over a year. And we would just spend time together and we would talk with one another. And sometimes after a little while, we'd go to different parts of the house and we'd take naps or we'd watch a ball game and we'd have a conversation or we'd walk around the neighborhood. We would do these sorts of things with them. They invited us into their lives and shared their lives with us. And we laughed and we wept. And they told us about their family. Randy and Barbara had five children. The youngest two are adopted boys. And they adopted these boys when they were like seven or eight, somewhere around there. And these boys remembered their family of origin. And yet these boys were brought into Randy and Barbara's home. And they called them sons and gave them their name and loved them. But one of these sons rebelled against that love. One of these sons brought great amounts of strife into their home. He, he rebelled and he ran away and he moved away. And in fact, he broke into their home multiple times and stole from them. One of those times was when Kat and I were house-sitting for them. This young man that they brought into their house and called son, he broke their hearts. They adopted him and said, you are my son, and showered them with love, and yet he spurned that love and took advantage of their care. And yet through all of that, Randy and Barbara had never stopped loving him. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. They, they changed the locks to their house, and, and they called him on his sin, but they kept forgiving him. And I have to tell you that on more than one occasion, I actually thought, just wipe your hands. Just be done with this. There's too much sadness, there's too much pain, there's too much brokenness. Just wipe your hands of him and be done. And I may have even asked them that. But they never did. No, they kept coming back to him with love and with compassion and with forgiveness. You see, Randy and Barbara knew the forgiveness of their heavenly father, and because they knew that forgiveness, they forgave their adopted son. And y'all, that is the fruit of forgiveness. That those who have been forgiven will forgive. 
That's actually what we see from our story, what the expectation is. You see the servant who has been forgiven this insurmountable debt. He leaves the master's presence, and surely there is a new spring in his step, right? I imagine he walked out of the master's presence, and he took a giant sigh of relief because he's got his life back, right? He's on cloud nine. He's excited. He's relieved. He's happy. And then he sees his fellow servant. His fellow servant who owes him a hundred denarii. This would have been a hundred days worth of wages. And that relief he just experienced has now been replaced with rage. Because he wants his money back. And so he goes to the servant, he chokes him, and he says, pay me what you owe. And the servant says, what? Have patience with me, and I will pay you. Does that sound familiar? I mean, those are the very words that the servant had just spoken. It's the same request that he had made to the master, to the king. But this one who had once, who had just received grace and forgiveness is not willing to extend grace and forgiveness to another. He refuses the request and throws the man in jail. You see, friends, forgiveness, we love to talk about forgiveness. It is a beautiful and wonderful and amazing thing when we are the recipients of it. But when we're called to give it, well, that's another thing, isn't it? And yet that's exactly what is expected because we read that the master, having heard what has taken place, he says in verse 32, you wicked servant. I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And what is the answer that he's expecting? It's yes, I have been merciful and so you should be merciful. I have forgiven and so you should forgive. I have been gracious and so you should be gracious as well. You see, the master understands that out of this root of forgiveness, it should produce the fruit of forgiveness in our lives. But that's not what the servant did, is it? He did not forgive his fellow servant. Instead, he he brought judgment upon him. And we're told that in anger, the master delivered the first servant to the jailers until he should pay all his debt, which means forever. Jesus says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now listen, Jesus isn't saying here that we earn forgiveness by forgiving. He's not saying that we are justified by forgiveness, our forgiveness alone. That's not what he's saying, okay? Because we know that we are saved by grace through faith, right? That's what Ephesians 2 tells us. No, what Jesus is telling us is that those who have truly experienced forgiveness, they will embody the fruit of forgiveness. That those who have been forgiven will naturally forgive. But the reverse is true, too. The adverse, right? That that those who don't forgive, that either they don't comprehend the forgiveness that has been given them, or they haven't truly been forgiven. A forgiven person will naturally be a forgiving person. And so for those of us who have experienced God's grace, His mercy, His kindness, His forgiveness, that He's forgiven my sin. How can we not extend that forgiveness to others? How can we not extend that forgiveness to one another? Now, I imagine that it's at this point that many of you have all sorts of situations running through your mind. Situations where damage has been done, circumstances where wounds have been made. 
And so you're sitting there and you're thinking like, okay, what, what does forgiveness look in that situation? I mean, does forgiveness mean there are no consequences? Does forgiveness just mean we just wipe over the sin and, and there are no consequences and we pretend like nothing ever happened and we just move on and we live and let live? Is that what that means? Well, friends, biblically speaking, sin does have consequences, even forgiven sin. This means that a man who's notoriously deceptive, we can forgive him of the lies he's told, but it doesn't mean we're going to accept everything he has to say without reservation. It means that someone who maybe brought physical or verbal pain to another, we can forgive them of the pain that they've brought, but it doesn't mean that they're going to spend time alone with my children. There can be people who manipulate and cajole, and we can forgive them of their manipulation, but it doesn't mean that they're brought into leadership. No, sin has consequences, even forgiven sin. I mean, think about Moses, right? The story of Moses. Moses, I have no doubt Moses' sins have been forgiven, that he is in heaven right now, okay? So that's the context, right? Like, Penny believes Moses is, is, loves Jesus, okay? Okay, and, and we know that he does because he appeared at the transfiguration, right? So he, he's got good prominence in heaven, but, or and, not but, and, we know that his sin had consequences, right? When he struck the rock in his anger, God didn't just go, you know what, no big deal, no worries. Yes, you are forgiven, and you shall not enter the promised land. Or when David committed adultery with Bathsheba and abused his power and his authority. Yes, David is in heaven. David has been forgiven. Jesus sits on the throne of David, and yet the son didn't survive. You see, friends, sin has consequences even forgiven sin. And so it doesn't simply mean that we just move on and pretend like nothing happened. No, no, sometimes, sometimes sin has consequences even beyond the point of us saying you are forgiven. Now, I'm sure there are all kinds of situations running through your head now. <laughs> if there weren't before, there are now. And you're starting to think about those people, that, that engagement, that word that was said. And, and you would love for me to be able to talk about every single one of them. And if we were to do that, we'd be here for months, right? And just dealing with my stuff, forget yours. <laughs> no, in, instead, let me just encourage you, as, as we're trying to understand and, and process what forgiveness is going to look like in our lives and how we extend the forgiveness that has been given to us, let me encourage you, talk to a pastor. Like, come talk to me or to one of the other pastors at the church. Go, go talk to a counselor. Talk to someone of wisdom. Talk to one of your elders. Talk, talk to one who, who can help and guide and lead and direct as we try to understand what it means to be a forgiving people. But let us make sure that we don't run to ask the question, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister? Instead, let us remember and let us be mindful of how much we've been forgiven. That our insurmountable debt, it has been canceled. Let us remember that the root of God's forgiveness, it is Christ's love. And let us demonstrate that fruit of forgiveness by being a forgiving people. Because friends, those who have experienced the good and the beauty and the marvelous 
we want others to experience it as well. Right? I mean, we do this with every aspect of our lives. We go to a new restaurant, we find out about a new band, we have that new song, we see that new show, right? And what do we do? We loved it. It was beautiful. It was good. It was wonderful. And so we want everyone to go. I mean, I've, I was doing this just the other week about a new restaurant I went to, right? You've got to check it out. It's amazing. It's great. The food, the drink, it's what we do this, right? Because we want one another to experience just a little bit of the beauty and a little bit of the goodness. And friends, I have to tell you that if your debt has been canceled, there is nothing more beautiful. And that is exactly what every one of us is in need of, to experience the beauty and the goodness and the wonder of God's forgiveness. And so, so let us know the forgiveness of God that comes through the compassion of Christ and let us be a people of forgiveness because the kingdom of heaven, it is marked by forgiveness. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that for no other reason than your love for your people, you have forgiven us. It is not because of our works. It's not because of our deeds. It is not because of anything that we have done or would or could do. It is simply because of your compassion and your love. And so we praise you and thank you that you have forgiven us. And so as those who have received that forgiveness, we ask that you would make us a forgiving people. Let that be the mark of your people that we extend forgiveness and grace, mercy and kindness to one another and to those around us so that we would, we would demonstrate this fruit, this fruit of forgiveness. Help us to do this, we pray. And we pray it in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our King. And all God's people said together, Amen.